Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning! It is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. I cannot believe we're in November already. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. And uh, I'm looking forward to a great show today. Uh, In the second part of the show, which is pre-recorded, we're going to have a conversation with Tom Nash. Uh, Tom Nash is a writer, an apologist, uh, served as a church professional for more than 35 years, including as a theology advisor at the Eternal Word Television Network, which we know as EWTN. Tom is the author of The Biblical Roots of the Mass, What Did Jesus Do?, The Biblical Roots of the Catholic Church, and his newest is 20 Answers, The Rosary. He's also a contributing author to Catholic for a Reason, Scripture and the Mystery of the Mass, and Faith Facts, Answers to Catholic Questions, Volumes 1 and 2. And I know you've heard him on the radio because every once in a while he's a guest host on Catholic Answers Live, which we air here on Red Sea Radio. Before we get to that, though, I want to welcome everyone listening to us here in the Brazos Valley on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn, Bryan College Station. And also shout out to our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM Lorena Waco. And our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. Now, the first part of our show is live, so if there's something going on in your parish that you want to tell people about, Feel free to give us a call on 85-LOVE-RED-C. That's 855-683-7332. I'm joined in the studio this morning with our president, Dennis Maka. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Deacon Mike. Great to be here. Beautiful day today. And also, my co-host on the podcast, The Deacon and the Doc, Dr. Thaddeus Romanski. Why, good morning, Deacon Mike. How are you? It's great to be here. It is great to have you. And uh, we've been doing the Deacon of the Doc podcast for quite a while now. We're in season two. It was all spurred on by our decision to observe the 60th anniversary of the opening of the Second Vatican Council. And it's um, kind of musings, notes, and uh, discussion about all things related to the legacy of the Second Vatican Council. And there's a bonus component this year, which is, or this season, which is the Eucharistic Revival, the National Eucharistic Revival. And we'll touch on all things Catholic as we have those conversations. And the conversations are sometimes where we're in full agreement on everything and sometimes when we have a difference of opinion. So that makes it sort of interesting. But we're always trying to be faithful. Exactly. So yeah, you can get uh, you can get that wherever fine podcasts are offered, and you can also listen to it on uh, redsearadio.org slash podcast. Deacon on the Dock. Comes it out every listen. week to ten every like week to ten days. Yes. Now uh 
We also have something important coming up this month of November, and that is the benefit dinners, both for the Brazos Valley and for our Central Texas region. So, uh, Dennis, where are we on filling tables for these? <laughs> we are beyond where we've ever been before. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, I'd like, like a to, Star Trek episode. I'd like to accredit it to our wonderful uh, Red Sea Roundup hosts uh, for attracting so many people to the station. I'm pretty sure that's not it, at least not in my case. Well, people no, want I can't to see... speak for Pam and Judy, and that <laughs> no, is. No, Definitely I, not I, because of me. I disagree with both of you guys, but I, I think people are very excited also to come, come see Father Simon. Now, you know that if Gene Wilhelm was listening, he's probably saying, it's because I'm not on the air anymore. <laughs> there are people who are happy that I'm not on the air. Well, not true. Not true, Gene. Well, we are very happy to have Father Simon, Father Richard Simon, who is Father Simon Says radio host. Every weekday at 2 p.m., he's coming in to speak about the big book on the coffee table. And uh, the table, speaking of tables, we already at this point, two weeks to go, over two weeks to go, 46 tables are reserved at the Brazos Center here. Yeah. Let's get it. Get us to fifty, folks. The, the maximum, get us to fifty. The maximum we've ever had at a benefit dinner, I think, is thirty-eight. Woo, so baby. we've already eclipsed our maximum with still two weeks to go. Get us to fifty, folks. Let's I will do this. let you know. We were going to cap it at forty-nine, which means only three more tables remaining. We may have to open up another row in the back, and uh, uh, you know. Squeeze everybody in, but it's going to be worth it because there is plenty of room. But 56 tables is our absolute very max for that room before we have to go to a different facility in the future. Waco's benefit dinner is at 35. That is capping already their their all-time high on reservations. And the absolute max there is 41 tables. So... We're getting close to our There capacity. are only six tables remaining. Um, and I'm not sure if that counts the table that we talked about this morning that just came in. So there may only be five tables remaining in Waco. So if you want to sponsor a table, now is the time. If you go to redcradio.org and you click on Father Simon's picture on the front banner, you can join us at a very fun time for fun food and fellowship and learn about the big book on the coffee table, which is the Bible, adult beverages, coffee, of course, uh, you know, all the drinks that are, we open the doors at 6 PM, uh, but the dinner promptly starts at seven and we end promptly at nine. And of course, the whole point of this is to benefit Red Sea Radio, yes. the apostolate. And uh, the reason we're on the air is because people support us and, so if you haven't uh, ordered a table yeah. yet, do it now or you may not be able to come, basically. That's right. And we're not just saying that. It's literally we are almost at complete capacity for both of our venues. So November 17th and November 18th. We will invite people to listen on November 19th to our broadcast at 8.30 a.m. to probably around 1, 1.30 p.m., a long live broadcast from the Belton Convention Center, the uh, Bell County Convention Center, the 75th anniversary of the Diocese of Austin with mass talk, praise and worship, interviews. It's going to be a great morning. That's the day after our benefit dinner. So we're going to have to get to pick up some some coffee and uh, extra coffee from the, the benefit dinner and 
try to stay awake throughout that entire day because it's going to be quite a marathon. So some great things coming up. Fill that thermos. Uh, Thaddeus. Yes, sir. Uh, you have some news on Victory Sports, too. Yes, Deacon Mike, we uh, we are humming along with football and volleyball in our Catholic Youth Sports League, Central Texas's only Catholic Youth Sports League. Um, we are wrapping, getting ready to wrap up football and volleyball, and registrations for basketball, girls and boys basketball, are still open. We're in late registration mode now. Um but you can still register for for a slightly increased fee uh, to participate in Victory Sports. You can go to victoryyouthsports.org and register now, and we still would love to have your son or daughter, grandson or grandchild, niece or nephew, participate in a youth sports experience that um, teaches the beauty of the faith through the beauty of sport, that teaches great fundamentals, teaches virtue, and brings uh, parish families closer together. You know, I was I was thinking one great benefit of it about Victory Sports is we keep score. We do. And for a very good reason, because, you know, there are victors and there are those that don't come out on top always in life. And that's the same way in sports. So it's a competitive sports league, which is a big bonus because that's uh, there are some sports leagues in, in town that aren't competitive and they, you know, everyone kind of gets a ribbon and you know, it's important. To- and can I go you one better on that, yeah, that winners and losers analogy? Especially yep. apropos since yesterday was All Saints Day, today is All Souls Day. There are winners and losers in the spiritual life. Yeah, We want to be winners in the spiritual life. We want to attain that imperishable crown that St. Paul talks about. Instead of that withering laurel wreath that St. <laughs> Paul says we shouldn't be striving for. Right. But this teaches us how to compete and strive and persevere and um, demand of our of our bodies and discipline our passions, we can learn that by playing sports. That That's sports at its best. And I like the fact that uh, in victory sports, the effort is made to teach virtue. Yes. And while all sports, in a way, have a component of that in them, mm-hmm. it's not brought out the way it is in victory sports and teaching kids why we should strive for virtue. Right, and, and striving for virtue, not in not just in how you play the game, but also how you cheer, how you are a, a fan, how you support your, your team, showing good sportsmanship, um, recognizing excellence wherever it happens on the field, whether it's your team or the other team, um, cheering with consideration, not being rude. That's really important. All of us need to work on that. And it is a pleasant change in our culture. So if you haven't signed up your kids for uh, Victory Sports yet, please consider doing so. Yes, please do. VictoryYouthSports.org, VictoryYouthSports.org to do basketball. Um, Just one minute more, Deacon Mike. Uh, We'll have a couple practices those first Fridays in December. Then we'll take a break for Advent and Christmas season, the rest of Advent and Christmas season. And then we'll resume in January with practices and then games, and we'll have our championship game on March 4th. So sign up uh, your kids. Now, uh, Thaddeus already talked about it. Uh, Yesterday we celebrated All Saints Day, which was the commemoration of all those people who are in heaven that we don't know they're there. And so 
while the church has practically a celebration of saints all year round because we have particular saints that we have uh, feasts and solemnities and memorials for, All Saints Day is for all those that we don't recognize. Is it fair to say um, every martyr is celebrated on Yes. All Saints Day. That's that's a class of persons that for sure you can take it to the bank. They are in heaven. Yes. They're being celebrated they on. They gave their life for the church. Right. For Jesus. They're saints. But uh today the commemoration of all souls, we celebrate and we do celebrate those who are still suffering. Uh, Father Raj did a wonderful job last night talking about the three components of the church, mm-hmm. being the church militant, which is us here on earth, the church suffering, which is what we're commemorating today, those in purgatory, and the church triumphant, those we celebrated yesterday. And so when we're talking about the souls in purgatory, the first question, of course, always comes up. Where did the church get this idea of purgatory? And I've always said that purgatory, even though it is not specifically mentioned in the Bible, is a logical necessity, simply because of the fact that if there is such a thing as forgiveness of sins in the next life, which Scripture clearly says that there are some sins that can't be forgiven in this life or the next, implying that there are some that can be Therefore, there must be some place other than heaven or some state other than heaven where those souls are located to be purified, where those sins can be forgiven. And the church says that we all tend to have a desire towards sin, concupiscence, that we're not always able to get rid of before we die. And so the church commemorates all those souls still struggling, all those souls suffering, but it's sort of like the mudroom to heaven. You're in the door. (laughs) It's just a matter of getting cleaned up before you get to come in to the living room. So as we commemorate all those in purgatory, let's be mindful that we should be praying for them because there are many souls in purgatory who have no one here on earth to pray for. And so, as, again, they're part of the church. They're part of that church suffering. So, our job is to pray for them, which is why the church commemorates this day, to give us this opportunity to do so. We're about to take a break, so remember, on the other side, we're going to have a conversation with Tom Nash, apologist and author. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And we are back. You're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. In a moment, we're going to be talking to Tom Nash, apologist, author, and all-around nice guy. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that uh, is always nice is we have the opportunity to speak with uh, Tom in the actual studio. It's not a telephone 
interview, which is much, much better. I actually get to see his handsome face. So <laughs> good morning, Tom. How are you today? Doing well. Great to be with you today, Deacon Mike. Now, I introduced you as apologist and author. Before mm. we get into the um, things that you do, mm. tell us a little bit about Tom Nash. Yes, Tom Nash is from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I like to say that you can take the boy out of Motown, but you can't take the Motown out of the boy. Uh, and I, I like to joke, um, being from Detroit and remembering the Motown music as a child, that uh, the um, <laughs> the only place you can say without... Uh, a Motown concert is the only place you can say without moral reservation, lead us under the temptations. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who are a little younger, they, are, they were a Motown group and, and worth listening to. Now, one of the things, uh, I grew up on country music, so okay. when I think Detroit, I think muscle cars. Okay, so, sure. Rather than Motown. Hey, I can appreciate muscle cars. I remember all with the Roadrunners and the uh, Chevelles and the Grand Torino, which you saw the movie with uh, Clint Eastwood. So, yes, and back when gas was a little cheaper, so getting those muscle cars was not as difficult on the pocketbook. Yes. Uh, now, you are both an author and an apologist. Now, our uh, listeners might not be aware of what exactly an apologist mm. does. So yeah. would you explain that? Yeah, an apologist uh, would not be someone who says they're sorry, but rather coming from the Greek and the Latin, the apologia, that you are uh, making a defense of something. So in the traditional sense of apology, and some people say, oh, you should be a lawyer. I said, well, I like to think I'm defending a higher law with God's law and, and, and the, therefore the church's teaching. And so an apologist, it's important, though, when you do speak because you're on making a defense, you want to be charitable because you can be correct but ineffective. If you speak the truth, as St. Paul says, not with love in 1 Corinthians 13, then you're not likely to be effective. And so we're to explain, because there are many misconceptions about Catholicism, uh, sometimes people with the opposition to the church of whatever reasons, I like to say that anti-Catholicism makes the strangest of bedfellows because where else can you get, I mean, Hitler and Stalin were enemies, but they were together on opposing the church. Where do you get Planned Parenthood, Bob Jones University, which maybe not as anti-Catholic as it used to be in South Carolina, but traditionally so. Uh, and just various groups that might not otherwise have common ground they will be united in purpose, if not united, uh, working side by side in their opposition to the church, which I like to think is showing the uh, divine foundation of the church. Uh, but going back to so there's there's plenty of things to defend because the attacks come from all around. So in growing up and going to Catholic schools and then going on to uh, I moved from Detroit to Ann Arbor in 1976 went to a Catholic school out there and then the University of Michigan, much more secular environment. Uh, I had always thought, you know, as a youngster, I would like to give witness to the faith in my private time, uh, which I thought might be as maybe a prominent broadcaster like Ted Koppel, if you remember Ted from um, uh, Nightline from back in the day on ABC or Mike Wallace on uh, 60 Minutes, both uh, I retired while Mike died some years ago. But the point being that being using that public celebrity to give witness in the private faith. But I found in time, Deacon, that serving the church and be able to explain the fact because so many times um, people 
have misunderstandings biblically, historically about the church, whether it's Galileo, whether it's about the the Blessed Sacrament, and is it a symbol or is it a both end, and is it the real presence? And it's not cannibalism. It's not a blasphemy properly understood. To be able to explain those things, and I know that the good Lord had blessed me with certain abilities to think and to think on my feet. That and and being a cradle Catholic, I felt the grace from the earliest years that certainly my parents upbringing made a difference, but I just know there is something about the efficacy of the sacrament of baptism that I was drawn to it. I can't explain otherwise that there's the peace which the world cannot give. And then going through first communion and all of that. And at St. Mary Redford in Detroit, great Catholic grade school growing up in Detroit, that you just know that this is the truth and that wherever you go and you see the universality of the church, uh, our job ultimately, you know, why did God make us, you know, to know, love and serve him, as the old Baltimore Catechism says here in this life, and then and to be happy forever in union with him in heaven. There's nothing more important than being in right relationship with our creator, the Lord Jesus. So I felt drawn to that, and then I felt eventually to, after going to grad school in Missouri, I went to Michigan undergrad, I wanted to, um, felt called to serve the church full time, and that just being as a journalist, but be kind of like that apologist advocate. And I had known about Catholic Answers, gosh, going back, my goodness, with Catholic Answers, 1985. I'm in grad school at Missouri, and Carl Keating at this the older newspaper called the Wanderer. He had these long articles. Sometimes the articles weren't so. I mean, you got to have nice layout if you want people to have. <laughs> and it was it was kind of like all pushed together. But his is like, wow, this is impressive. And it was all about responding to fundamentalism, which was having a resurgence in the eighties. And so I, I, I saved those articles. Then I remember that they started putting, doing a newsletter, Catholic answers. And so I got to connect with Carl Keating when I was working as a um, reporter at the um, Catholic observer in Springfield, Massachusetts. And so I went, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it was in Terrytown, New York, not too far from Massachusetts. And that's where I met him first in person, got one of the few hardcover copies of his book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism. But I kept in touch with there over the years. And then more recently in doing different things for the church, working at a place called Catholic Center for the Faith, also EWTN, that I've been able to do more things, not just with book editing, but with Catholic Answers now. And I, I particularly appreciate the opportunity and, and it's a blessing to be here to talk about the faith, why we believe what we believe and why we believe this is the truth that sets us free now and forever. And, and a, being an apologist is, is important to be able to explain and to also to explain calmly because sometimes people have questions and they might test you too, but not necessarily the difficulty of the question, but maybe being dismissive or obnoxious. Oh, are we going to, is this person going to just write us off and condemn us to places that we don't want anyone to go after earth? Or are they going to take themselves, as I like to say, don't take yourself too seriously, take the mission seriously. And therefore, there, we have no incontrovertible enemies here on earth and among mere human beings, that the only ones that, that exist are the, the powers and the principalities, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 12, that they, the, the fallen angels who uh, rebelled against God, they are irrevocably against. But any person, president, bishop, I mean, some, who knows, schismatic person, whoever it is, they are um, a soul to be won back or to run for the first time. And so we've got to have that greater love. Like, you know, Jesus is on the cross. He doesn't say, Father, forgive them, except it's Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And so, yeah, 
they there were some mitigating circumstances there. But the point is, here he is at uh, at his most uh, suffering on the cross, and um, apparently at his the most ignominious and at his lowest point, and yet it becomes his source of tremendous victory. And I think we need to have that power that to be able to forgive and to be able to endure. That's the only way we're ever going to be able to witness to, to our friends and family who may have strayed long-term and also to, to witness to people who are not yet Catholic or have had a bad experience for whatever reason. So we've got to always have that interior life if you're going to be a successful apologist because we need to realize things might not turn around with a relationship with a loved one as quickly as we'd like. And so that interior life, and when I say that, of course, is with that relationship with the Lord, spending time before the Blessed Sacrament, et cetera, that's crucial if we're going to um, be able to give that joyful, sustaining witness, which keeps us in the game, realizing that the devil doesn't sleep and he's, he's going to be working against, uh, they, don't, they don't quit and we can't quit because we have the victory in Christ and therefore all the more we need to be humble, but we need to be persevering and to, to persevere and persevere, persevere well we need to be able to um, be well-formed, not just in knowledge, but in, in heart so we can lift, witness that joy. Because otherwise, um, people, we won't have that, that opportunity and there's an alienation. And, and a key thing is not just about forgiving someone, but being humble enough to say, please forgive me. I had an older brother who died recently, my brother Michael, his brother, and he um, hadn't been active in the church for a good long while. And I remember a football game, uh, a few years ago, it was Michigan Rutgers during the COVID year and COVID shortened season, doggone season didn't start till the week before Halloween, but watching the Rutgers game with him and he made some comment and he misused our Lord Jesus' name. And I said, Hey Mike, you know, it's knock that off. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's the Lord's name and you know, he's, he's God. And he said, if he is God. And at that point, Deacon, I got ticked off and I literally got in his face and then I had to catch myself and later repent now because I could have responded better than I did. But there was an example how I was in his life. I'm the youngest brother. So being the youngest brother, you got a little bit of lack of credibility with the oldest brother in some sense. Uh, but just always being available to him. And I wrote about it in Catholic world report, uh, in gratitude to um, my brother's patron, St. Michael, the archangel came out uh, on the feast day of St. Michael this year. So, the point I'm making is, is I had to be recalibrate and say, where, how can I do better? His oldest son, whose name is Graham, said to me one time, 20 some years ago, he still treats you like you're, you're his little brother. And kind of a point I made earlier, we can't take ourselves too seriously, but take the larger mission seriously so that we continue to have those important conversations, or as Al Cresta says, conversations of consequence. I like that alliteration in that regard. So it's important that we you have to have that humility, but you also have the strength to continue because you can easily get discouraged or I'm going to walk away from it. None of us, every one of us, I should say, no matter what we are, no matter whether we consider ourselves an apologist, we can always be interacting in a humble way with loved ones. And that witness, because God can speak through us, you never know what seeds are planted. And so I would just encourage everybody, uh, if they've got alienated loved ones, friends, family members, to just hang in there and to cultivate that relationship with their family members who are in the faith and other friends, because we all need that solidarity in Christ to be able to sustain a faithful, joyful witness. 
I want to remind our listeners you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup, and our guest this morning is author and apologist Tom Nash. Uh, one of the things uh, you had mentioned is that the church has many opponents mm. in the world out there. Yes. And all of them oppose the church for different reasons. Yeah. Now, as an apologist, one of the challenges I would imagine is being not only acquainted with the answers, yeah. but also with the challenges. How difficult was it to realize, you know, what is, for instance, communism's mm. uh, uh, fight with the church, whereas uh, evangelical university yeah. has a totally different perspective. And, and the communists aren't too keen on us because we were uh, a threat beyond the borders. Um, you know, that, that's where Catholicism versus nationalism, Deacon Mike, is crucial because you're more likely to see racism and exclusionary uh, aspects in a problematic sense. Uh, obviously, racism always problematic, but when we there's something we said about exclusion or, or when people like joining any particular club, everyone can be welcome, but you've got to be assenting to the various uh, teachings or principles of a group. And of course, with communism, they saw the church as the threat it was, and that's why they wanted to destroy the church. Uh, so that is why, yeah, and th this is where Hitler <laughs> and Stalin could get together because the church is pervasive and therefore a threat to their authority. And, uh, you know, atheism, uh, communism is atheistic. Hitler was had his belief uh, more of a pantheist, and in some ways, like Hitler was God of sorts. Um, so you you have those. That's how the church is an opponent to them because he's a reminder that they are um, opposing that we are all made in God's image and likeness, and that we have a bigger purpose in God, and there is a moral law, and therefore tyrants like Stalin and Hitler are not the way to go. And of course, with the evangelicalism, we can think of things like various biblical issues. And I like to say to them too, with regard to an issue like the devil, uh, I would say to them, remember that, you know, you talk about the tool, of the devil or, or the woman who rides the beast of revelation and kind of distortions and about the church. And I would say, remember that the devil, the devil's real devotees, they don't look for ordinary grape juice or wine and mere bread. They look for what I call the Eucharistic real thing. And, you know, you, you were both old enough to remember Coke and the real thing and, and the, the multicultural gatherings. And there was, you know, great commercials, but you know, it was this kind of bringing the world together. And that's what the church does. It is, as I say about the Reverend Jesse Jackson, the church is the original Rainbow Coalition. All are welcome. And it's push. Rainbow push was put people united to save humanity. I mean, that's our great commission. So this is what the church is about. And so everyone is welcome. And then with the Eucharist, it is that great point of unity. It was the point, sadly, Luther had the most Catholic view amongst the early reformers that he believed in the body and blood present with the bread and wine instead of the transubstantiation. But I like the fact that in 1529, which is when a mighty fortress came out, his great hymn, that it was the Eucharist, that point of unity, which led to their division because they were, they were disagreeing on that. So I like to point out that Christ is God. Uh, Christ is comes to us in his sacrament, which he dies once for all and ascended into heaven. And, and that beautiful thing about the, the sacrament, the blessed sacrament, is that an offering of the Eucharist is that heaven and earth become one uh, most profoundly. And so that what began on the day, it's not about saying what 
Christ did is insufficient. It's like, no, it's the gift that keeps on giving now and forever. And one day we'll be in communion with God who gave himself on our behalf and the veils of the sacraments will be taken away and we will be face to face with God. But until then, we have the blessing of the um, of the Eucharist as I look out of your, your most beautiful church that's in construction and will be opening up next year. But I say to them with regard to what is it about that they, the devil and his minions have more faith in the Eucharist than many Catholics and other non-Catholic Christians. Now, no doubt perversely expressed, but they do believe it's the real thing. And that's why it is the centerpiece of their blasphemous ritual known as the Black Mass. They say, what is it about the devil? He knows his enemies. And it's that's why, you know, <clears throat> as one movie reviewer who grew up Catholic says, when when things get real serious, they usually call the Catholic Church and with an exorcism. And it's a, it's just showing the devil gives us pack, backhanded, gives the church backhanded compliments. It's like with who are some of the most persecuted priests ever? Uh, Padre Pio and John Vianney said, if you look closely, the devil will point you in the right direction of the truth because it shows you the power of the sacrament of confession. I think it's a great means, especially for getting men back involved in the church, if they can humble themselves to go to a priest and go to confession. That has true power, and that's why when two of the most persecuted, I mean literally persecuted priests by the devil with various um, manifestations of a preternatural nature in which they get thrown around a room and whatnot, just crazy stuff going on, that that they are known, renowned for their being great confessors, which shows them, because why it's a crucial thing now, baptism is the gateway to the sacraments, but important, very important is confession for being able to continue to receive the, the blessed sacrament regularly. And so I would just say point to them. It's a, just make it any good apologetics and evangelization is Christ centered. And it also points out that, Hey, you know what you think, especially those who are religious opponents, the devil, the devil knows his enemy. And um, if you look closely, it's not too difficult to see that it's the Catholic church he's concerned about, not these other ones, as much as he might not appreciate their, um, embrace of the moral law to a certain extent, he knows his real enemy. Now, you've been a guest host on Catholic Answers Live. Yes. How challenging is it to answer questions on the fly? Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's an interesting thing being doing on the fly. And then I've also been not just as the apologist, but sometimes being in your chair, so to speak, being the host. And sometimes it's interesting where you get dead air or, or, or somebody lose a connection. So then as we used to say at EW10, you got to paddle and better know your topic at that point because you got to fill the air. But as far as answering questions, I mean, I will ask questions, answer questions, say, sometimes we could see a little bit advanced, but there are some other ones you're thinking, Lord, okay, give me the strength and just try to, and also try to connect with a person. I think it's important because and hear what they're experiencing um, because if it's just an answer, but you're not saying how it's applying to their life or maybe their struggle, it's, you want to connect with them. And so that's important. And so, yeah, some of these things, I think you can, you can admit you might not know maybe something about something historical, but still point out the reality of the church and that Jesus Christ found that and sustained it. So you can always have your basic principles, but I know that, yeah, God blesses us in ways, um, that if we have the courage that he will, and there's nothing wrong too, if you're in a conversation to be able to say, Hey, let me check on that. And I'll get back to it. Now I can't do that as easily with Catholic answers, but there's some case you can have to say where I think we come back from break and say, Hey, if so-and-so is still listening or whichever, I want to add this additional point better to said that than nothing. 
But it's, I just think it's important, and, and you want to keep that door open. And if people hear you and are, know that you've heard them and were um, charitable to them, they're more likely to tune in again or to have another conversation with you as opposed to, you know, right now, here and there, you got to turn your life over because you might die tonight. Well, that could happen, but you've got to always keep the door open and know that God sees the bigger picture better than we And Bottom line is keep that door open and humble yourself and persevere. What do you find most challenging about being an apologist for the church? Mm, well, you know, there are those variety of questions. And then also being able, again, being able to, as I've said about repenting where I need to, and then being able to, maybe you got to have some things that need to be researched. Uh, and then sometimes thinking, you know, oh, what's this one? Is this trip up the team thing? Church is teaching on infallibility somehow because this Pope did such and such. You look at it closely, you've been at it long enough, you have enough confidence that God does sustain and we distinguish between the individual sins of a Pope and sometimes even with, with the 16 Vulgate of Sixtus V back in the 1500s where he did not, he had had some published copies of this thing that was going to problematic uh, discussion about the Bible and certain things in, certain things out. And if it would have been promulgated, it would have been a real problem in terms of infallibility. But it was never formally promulgated, the bull that, the papal bull or document that put this forth. And and although this pope was in very good health and nobody poisoned him or anything like that, he died not long after, and then that the Bible was fixed. And I had answered that a question to a gentleman. He says, you know, if I become Catholic, your answer is going to make a big difference. Now, this was a written one. And this is the thing, too, is with apologetics being able to sometimes— it's the spoken word, people are listening, but also the written words so they can sit with it and meditate on it. So that, uh, it, it depends. And, and then also, again, checking your ego and keeping it cool because sometimes people can make negative attacks on the church or bring up, who knows, about try to make a personal attack. You just got to always be on your toes and stay on mission and say, winning this person's heart, even if it means immolating my ego, is... The bigger is 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 the the larger issue, the larger concern. Again, you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup to our guest Tom Nash, and we've covered the apologetic side of mm. your life. Let's delve into the author side of your life a little bit. And before we go into your books, what made you decide to write? Ah, yes. And I, and I say this in good humor. I, I worked at Kroger's back when I was in high school. And if you remember in the 70s, this slogan would make a lot of sense more than maybe it does today. But I, I still remember the, the funniest bumper stickers, I thought, not to take lightly the issue that surrounds it. But it said, um, illiterate, question mark, write for help. And I just thought, now, obviously not to take illiteracy lightly, but it was everything was right for help back then. And, and so there was one where you wouldn't be able to write for help because you didn't know how to read and write. Um, but I thought it was funny, but I, I enjoyed, you know, as I say, being with the whole thing of apologetics and uh, I mean, being like a Ted Koppel journalism and all that kind of stuff, or maybe, or Howard Cosell, if you remember Howard Cosell, oh, yes. but maybe not with quite the ego, God bless him. But uh, that then be able to speak your mind and talk about the, the way things are telling it like it is, as he used to say that uh, I, both in speaking, but then writing. And so God's given me some gifts in that regard. So I would try to cultivate them in high school and then in, in college. 
uh, I'll say, you know, earlier, but then in, in deciding I wanted to go to Missouri for grad school and journalism and writing is important. And whether it's broadcast or written, especially in news, you got to be able to, to write because usually things are scripted. You can have a talk show, but even then if you, people are going to have to read and write and be able to construct an argument, things like that. And that, that all goes with apologetics. So I, when I was doing that in Mizzou and I, one of the first things turned out to be apologetic oriented. So with my writing is a, of an apologetics orientation. Um, it was in uh, 1985 and somebody came up and the, the Missourian, which was the student newspaper, which competed with the local daily, um, which is unusual because student newspapers don't compete with the local dailies. But then that local daily had a lot of Missouri, they call it the Missouri mafia in terms of journalism all over the country that, uh, it, um, was a rather successful newspaper itself. And so, but with the Missourian, it was all about birth control and against the church's teaching and contraception, uh, uh, opposition to contraception went out with the invention, like with the electric light bulb, you know, my goodness, how primitive. So I explained about what NFP was and how, um, the, the unitive and the procreative, and I would say more, I think, um, attractively the love giving and the life giving, and that there's this intrinsic bond between the two aspects of the marital act that if you close yourself off from at least openness to the life giving aspect, you have to one extent or another, because they are, there's an unbreakable bond. You have undermined the expression of love to one extent or another, because you've closed yourself off to the possible, one of the possible fruits of it. So anyway, I didn't get into all that kind of detail with it, but I, I hit on some things and I remember seeing, there's a Catholic professor deacon I was at Missouri and he comes up and goes, Hey, I, he was from New York and he worked at WCBS in New York city and back in the day and interviewed various people, including Malcolm X. And he says, I saw your uh, column or your letter in the, the Missouri. And I said, yeah, well, what'd you think uh, professor? And he goes, pauses. And well, as I said, I saw your letter in the newspaper. I said, okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And so I was known for being the Catholic or taking certain stands, uh, not being afraid to do it. Yeah, journalism tends to attract a little more liberal crowd, generally speaking. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah, so, but it was good because I think it's, people are waiting sometimes when you, they get you into discussion. I remember when I was working at a TV station in Alabama. She goes, oh, so you're some little virgin? I go, yeah, they're usually people are going to walk away. I said, well, well, actually I see it's about respecting myself and women and this and that. And so sometimes they're not, they think they're going to dismiss you quickly or scare you away. And when you don't, it's like, then the, you catch them off guard. And again, that's where you have to be charitable as opposed to saying you're this, this, and this. I had a friend who I, who was living the homosexual lifestyle. I was in grad school, in Missouri, just as a thing about how we can personally witness to people. Uh, and that's going on. And after I'll get back to think about writing. Um, but I think it's a worthwhile example to, to point out because we met him in, in the context of journalism and he was originally from Alabama. His name was Montgomery. So, which is a great Southern name after one of the generals or colonels down there. And, uh, he was living the lifestyle. Now he had lived and went to Cal Berkeley and of course, San Francisco, Oakland, a little more liberal area and much more. This is right at the beginning of AIDS and uh, mid eighties. So we kept in touch. I mean, we came down to Texas. We had a road trip from Mizzou down to Austin, 
Um, was, Texas wasn't doing as well, which I guess is always, you guys don't care how Texas does no. versus Aggieland. <laughs> but uh, Mizzou wasn't doing as well. But So we went down there and we drove back. And I just, I wanted to let him know that I loved him as a friend. I wasn't afraid. I mean, it wasn't an occasion of sending me and I could hug him and all that. A few years later, he's dying of AIDS. And uh, we connect and um, I'm talking to him and he's talking about his his Catholic uh, oh yeah, he finds out that I'm working for the church and working on a Catholic newspaper. He goes, so you still believe in all that, you know, blankety blank, expletive, deletive, enslaving stuff. And the thought that came to my mind, which I did not express, but just to let people know, it's like, like look who's talking. But I didn't, that wasn't going to win a soul over. So, so, well, actually Montgomery, I don't see it as the um, enslaving, but rather as the truth that sets me free. Like the Lord says, and that kind of disarmed him and we could talk. He talked about of his Catholic caregiver and Catholic guilt and all that. I said, well, it's not so much about, it's, it's, it's walking with the Lord and, and seeing how we're made in his image and likeness, that kind of thing, and being able to therefore conduct ourselves accordingly, inclu- including in our choices, which involve bodily expression and what, what's true friendship, what's true romance, et cetera, and all that. So we were able to connect, and then I was able to send him a letter a few months later and I saw a friend, it was interestingly that I was at a Nebraska, Colorado game in late 1989, November, but I found out that Montgomery died a few months, a few days, shortly not long before that. And that my friend who was working at it as a weekend anchor up there, I, I saw him on the sidelines because I was friends with Bill McCartney, who was a head coach of Colorado at the time. And he talked to me about how he had read my letter a few months ago prior to that. And this was again in November 1989 when I saw my friend that um, Montgomery was blind by then, couldn't do, but he had, he uh, graciously, and the fact that he welcomed the letter from me was, I think, a good sign of how I had interacted with him. And then the fact that I said, if there's anything you need to repent to the Lord about or get, get um, squared away, I did use the word repent, uh, reconcile, I reconcile with the Lord is how I put it then I just encourage you to do so. And I remember writing about this in the National Catholic Register more recently, 25 years later, and said, oh, you know, when someone's driving toward a cliff, you don't just talk to them, you, you, you know, you tell them they're gonna go to hell. And I said, look, you wanna be heard at that point. You're, don't take yourself too seriously as you're the only person. You wanna be able to plant seeds, you wanna be able to be heard, as opposed to being smug. Well, I told them or I did my part, and. No, yeah, great, and you didn't have an impact that you might have, and and the devil will work with anything, including our pride, to keep us from having an impact on people. So being able to do that, but then with writing, I eventually kept doing it. I worked at the Catholic newspaper in Massachusetts. I worked for Catholic Magazine. I went to to grad school in Missouri, excuse me, second grad school at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Then, in addition to that, I worked at this place called Catholic Schneider for the Faith. We um, put out a magazine, Lay Witness. We had a, and still exists, is published by Ignatius Press, uh, Faith and Life Grade School Catechism Series. We had our information services. People call us about questions about the faith. And particularly in the 90s, you'd get questions, catechetics, chastity education, sex education, um, things like that. So I was doing a fair amount of writing there. So I was apologetics. But then I want to write, uh, I will, the whole thing, my, my, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Matthew 16, 18. My, my name is Thomas James, James being my middle name. I, my confirmation name is Matthew. The reason I picked Matthew is because 
I loved how it showed the Christocentric nature of the Catholic Church. That Christ, it was Christ who built the rock, built on the rock of Peter. And ultimately, we believe in the Pope. We have reverence for the Mother of God, all because of the relationship with Jesus. So I wanted to do that. And I wanted to do something on the church. And uh, Tim Gray, who people might know about, is a, a great evangelist, apologist, scripture scholar, and out in uh, the Denver area. He was going to be doing something for Emmaus Road, which started with under Catholic Center of Faith, now under St. Paul Center with Scott Hahn. And Scott Hahn at the time was also a board member of Catholic Center for the Faith. But there was going to be some book deal where Tim was going to hit on that. And I thought to myself, well, gee, I would love to write that. And it's like, all right, well, what, okay, can't do it on the, the biblical roots of the church. What can I do? And so I remember um, just coming to me and praying. You know, we get these inspirations from the Lord when we hear that still small voice. You know, God doesn't come as when 1 Kings 19 uh, verses 11 to 13 with the, um, the prophet Elijah. He doesn't come in the, the fire. He doesn't come in the earthquake. He doesn't come in the wind, but rather in that still small uh, voice that we can hear him. And that's the important thing, quiet time, particularly with the Blessed Sacrament. So I heard that, and then I remember walking, jogging around at Franciscan and thinking of the thought, oh, wow, worthy is the Lamb. That'd be a great thing because the whole motif of the Lamb in the Old and New Testament. And then Scott Hahn, not long after that, comes out with the Lamb's Supper. I'm thinking, oh, come on. People are going to think that I'm copying Scott or that's going to be the book. Well, his thing is on the book of Revelation, if you've seen that, whereas mine's just showing the, the Lamb as the paradigm of sacrifice throughout the Old and the New Testament. And I wrote that, and I spent a good deal of time on that over some years and um, eventually published by Ignatius Press and just really blessed and then its second edition is published by Sophia Institute Press. So my writing has been more of an apologetics nature. I always wanted to do the commentary, the editorial, even if I didn't get the, as many opportunities when, to do that when I was younger. And then more recently, a book, What Did Jesus Do? The Biblical Roots of the Catholic Church, not of the Mass, the first one, that um, we've been able to, and that's coming out next year as a second edition through St. Paul Center. So I'm blessed in that regard. I also did one on the rosary and then various, um, as I would say, essays, commentaries in the strict uh, editorial sense versus articles, although that's a common term used to, for them. But I always wanted to be on the opinion page versus, as long as I'm standing up for the truth, versus the, because I think of strict articles as I might interview you about here at Ritzy Radio and talk to you, talk to your producer, different people, talk to father, and then your quotes, and I put them all together. Whereas in an essay, you can take a position of advocacy and and make that point, whereas I still want to be accurate of what you're saying. It's reporting what I'm getting from you. So I do like the whole thing. That's where apologetics goes with being on the editorial page, goes with commentaries and things like that. And so I've been able to do that and able to do with, uh, it's been selling well with the 20 Answers book booklet on the rosary um, with Catholic Answers, a great apologetics tool. And so I'm blessed that it continues because I, you know, the guy can, the good Lord could take us anytime, Deacon Mike, as you know, but I feel like at 60, my dad lived till 90. And as long as I try to watch my health, if I figure um, he's got me around for a good number of years yet, although, as I say, don't worry about the second coming because you could have your coming sooner in terms of your particular judgment. But I just feel the Lord's keep me around. I think of Mother Angelica and I met her in my work with E.W. Chen and living in Alabama in 1986. That you know, She didn't start E.W. Chen until 1981 when it launched and she was 58 years old. So God works in um, mysterious ways and God works with the young and the old. So um, I'm just 
blessed to be able to be here to talk to you today and to be able to be a part of Catholic Answers and to be able to continue to serve the church in a way that um, now my, sometimes people talk about being, as you get older, there's certain occupations where it's a negative, but being an apologist and having a little knowledge of the church and also the recent history is a positive. So I'm, I'm grateful for where I'm at and how God has used me and I look forward to further witness of further service in the Lord. Please, Lord. Well, that, and I think with apologetics experience is a great benefit because most of the questions aren't unique. No. Yeah. You you come back and it's important to, and in the, in that process, some of them are going to come back and even there might, or there might be variations on it. And again, always seeing that thing with evangelization, apologetics go together, that you're trying to bring them to Christ. You try the apologetics is removing an obstacle, but it's ultimately get them to encounter Jesus. And do we have enough faith? Do we have enough faith in the sacraments? Do priests have, as I talked about confession earlier, do we have enough faith in the power of that sacrament? Or is this just too, I mean, this is unique to priests that we, lay people can't celebrate that. Um, I mean, we can baptize in unusual circumstances, but we don't have the power to celebrate the sacrament of confession or the Eucharist. And I said, these are special things that they do. And the Eucharist is always going to be front and center, not only because it's the source and summit of the whole Christian life, but because it does bring in the collection basket. I mean, not to say we all need money to sustain, but sometimes that can become too much of a preoccupation. That's what happened with some of the scandals where some priests were not removed, but maybe moved to another place. But I think confession, I really say, do we believe? Do we believe in the power of the sacrament? And do we believe about what Christ has done? If we do believe that, then we can be an apologist, evangelist, and then let God be God. Letting people, giving them um, the opportunity to encounter Christ. And that's crucial with, uh, with, with our witness. And so again, apologetics, evangelization go together. And also remembering the larger issue is not so much winning the individual debate, but winning the heart, which means uh, circumcising the, 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 <laughs> the ego, if you will. It's, it's so important humility because with apologetics, there can be egos and wanting and debate and all that, but you really have to see the larger picture and keep your eye on the prize, which is winning people over. And, you know, sometimes you make mistakes and you go back and you learn from it. But again, you check your ego at the door and it's like with football, you, you don't always win every game, but hopefully you're winning. You're, you're learning from the challenges. Oftentimes you learn more from your mistakes than from your successes, but hopefully those, whatever you're learning, it's all leading to more fruitfulness in your successes. What I hear you say is that there almost has to be this fervent belief in the mercy of God and the, the yeah, forgiveness and, of God in your own life yeah. in order to be able to relate to people who are calling. And the reason they're calling is there's something in their life that's, one, making them question where they yeah. are right now, and most of the time because they're looking for forgiveness for something. Yeah, and it, it's important about God, how God has been merciful, and knowing that his power is real and can act in other people's lives and I see the lives of the saints, whether it's a cardinal, he's not yet canonized, but Cardinal Von Tuan, who was in nine years of solitary confinement in Vietnam, or Maximilian Kolbe, I got to interview the man for whom he died uh, in 1941 in, in Auschwitz, the concentration camp, which was in Poland at the time. Being able to have connections with these saints who, in the worst circumstances, shine so brightly. It's like, wow, the world and the devil gave their best and they came up 
the brightest, and and this the peace which the world cannot give was profoundly on display. And I'm thinking, wow, if that happened with them, that can happen with us. And also to show that mercy for God that no one's beyond redemption, no one's beyond forgiveness, and there's a joy. And sometimes it can be more challenging to experience in our own lives and witness to others, but there's the truth and the lives of the saints are witness evidence that it's all true. And that's why I like Catechism 156, because it speaks about motives of credibility that are attuned to all people. And therefore that, uh, whether it's miracles, whether it's the lives of the saints, the sustenance of the church over 2000 years, both because of scandal, despite scandals from within and persecution from without, it shows, it speaks to everyone in a way that can remove obstacles so they'll be more open to an encounter with our Lord Jesus. I want to thank Tom Nash for being on the show this uh, morning. It has was wonderful talking to you. I want to thank all our listeners for being out there and listening. Uh, Tom Nash's re- most recent book is 20 Answers, The Rosary, which goes along with uh, the other 20 Answers uh, series at uh, Catholic Answers. And if you have questions, um, uh, do what I do. Go online and Check out Catholic Answers. Always, we're always available online. We have giving societies to those who might be inclined to give at a, at a higher level, but there's also Catholic Answers Live where people can connect and, and 24-7 is the website and Catholic Answers Live as well. They want to call in. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, when you're deciding how to share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up. Love.